the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Oh, it's a hot one here in the city of Pittsburgh and across western Pennsylvania. So no matter where you are, I hope that you're trying to stay cool. Kath, I see that uh, you in your spare room, you are staying cool. I am staying cool. I've been uh, running this trusty 10-year-old air conditioner uh, since last night. I had to shut it off for the show because I care so much about the broadcast. Very nice. Um, at, even at the expense of my own uh, personal, comfort. you know, comfort and 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 you know perspective on the day. So no, I, I don't want to call you out though. What's the story with the uh, new air conditioner? Okay, we just looked into it today. Yeah, actually, and by we I mean my husband. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. Yeah, uh, hasn't even shipped yet. Where do you get it from? I don't know. Some Crazy website. Eddie's. Yes, crazy. It's probably the same same place I got my uh, standing desk from. Oh, it took like Syria. It's not even an exaggeration. I think it took eleven weeks to come. You know, there's this thing called Amazon. Yeah, and I and I ordered an air conditioner. I got here in three days, so I just Listen, want you to know this, isn't, this show isn't here for you to show off. Okay, I'm I'm just saying. Okay. I typed in and ex- some numbers. And exalt exalt your buying preferences over just, my own. Just came my way. That's all. I just want. I'm interested in your comfort here. That's all. Okay, well, speaking of my comfort yes. and perhaps yours, I have a terrific idea. Which is? We moved to Barbados. <laughs> what would be? What, tell me about Barbados. I mean, I'm not opposed to Barbados. It sounds lovely. Okay. So Barbados has suffered terribly since COVID-19 because about 40% of their economy is based on tourism and no one's going anywhere. No. Right. So they have just rolled out a brand new program called, John, the Barbados Welcome Stamp. Hmm. Okay. It's launching this week and the program will allow visitors to stay on the Caribbean Island visa free for up to one year. Yeah. The aim of course is to get people on the Island. Sure. And those people that they're looking for are people that are workers who can work remotely, who are doing what you and I are doing, working from home with their laptop or whatever. And so they say, now, wait a minute, if you're working from home, reconsider because does it matter that you're home or does it matter that you're working? So if it's just about working, why not work from Barbados? Sure. That'd be great. Now, can they help me out with uh, the cost of renting a house? Uh, Well, they have not talked about that in specific. Of course. Yeah. They want me to come to Barbados to spend money is what they want me to do. Right. Which is fine. And they want you to recognize what they're offering you, okay. which is a spectacular climate, oh. a beautiful beach, and a lot of space because the island is not crowded. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. Now, listen, this program has sparked global interest. It's not just you and I who are talking about this, John, mm. on the ride home. Considered from a cramped apartment in London or New York or working remotely on a beach sounds like an amazing idea. Of course, I'm reading this from the Wall Street or from the Washington Post. Um, 
Then it talks about the fact that not just Barbados is looking to kind of put the hand out of welcome, but also there are countries like Georgia. I don't mean our state. I mean the country of Georgia, Germany, and Costa Rica already have visa programs geared toward freelancers. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. So what are we doing here in Pittsburgh? And exactly. It's 95 that's degrees. So that's what they're actually, I mean, we're laughing about it, but that's what they're actually hoping to get people to ask. Now, if I'm working from home, really, why couldn't I work from Barbados? Well, because I'm working from home paying my mortgage. So I'm going to Barbados, I'm paying my mortgage and I'm paying for some rental in Barbados. Okay. Say you weren't paying for your mortgage. Say you were a renter, like you were for all those years in New York City. Your lease was coming up and all of a sudden they were you were like, no, wait Barbados. maybe I don't renew my lease. Maybe I moved to Barbados for a year. Yeah. What would it be uh, like to rent like a two or three bedroom apartment in Barbados? I wonder. You know, it's a good comparable. question. I wish I would have thought to look that up before today's show because that would have been an outstanding little bit of information I could inject. Well, you know, like whenever you, you ever watch those home shows like House Hunters International. Listen, are those, those are those frustrating? Listen, I only I'm trying to pick between the one point two million dollar property and the one point six million dollar property, right. and how much <laughs> do I really want that second bathroom? Exactly. Yeah. Spare. I know. But I mean, you know, the international thing I would love because you just kind of go, okay, I'm going to buy a house in Barbados. Mm-hmm. Let's go check that out. What would a, you know? What would a a typical average Barbadian home look like? Not like an American home, I'm sure. No, I'm sure it's not. But I also want you to consider Estonia. Where's Estonia? Estonia is on the Mediterranean Sea, as I recall. Well, that'd be so fine as well. Anywhere yeah, so, near the water, I'd be happy okay, to. So Estonia, uh, Estonian officials, apparently, according to the same article in the Post, have seen a surge in applications for, quote, e-residency, a plan that targets entrepreneurs who can set up businesses virtually in any country. Hmm. So people who are just doing their stuff online, and it really doesn't matter where there is. Yeah. The problem is, though, what about your internet? I was thinking about the beach in Barbados, and we're going to have a hard time with internet there. Yeah, I would imagine. Right, Anywhere you go to, you're going to have kind of funky internet, right? So if we do choose Barbados. Mm, that's a big if. Right, if we do. So we'll have to stay in the hotel or <laughs> our, our rental for a certain amount of time. But sure. as soon as the show is over, yeah. then we can go out on the Run beach. Run down to the beach, yeah. I mean, how bad nice. could that be? That'd be very, very nice indeed. It really would mm-hmm. be. Okay. You know. So, but you, I don't feel like you're taking me seriously. Well, I just, there's a lot of questions surrounding it. Believe me, I'd love to go to the beach. You know that. Um, yes. But it's a cost issue. It's a travel issue. What am I going to do about my dog? Can my dog come into the country? There's nothing. The The Washington Post article mm, uh, written yeah, by a- Adam Taylor does not mention Gus. So this is for kids who are like, you know, in their 20s, maybe unmarried, you know, footloose and fancy free. Or maybe it's geared toward the people who have never had kids who are 50 and are, you know, relatively right. economically, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. comfortable and can go off and try a new thing. Right. I was speaking to my nephew yesterday who lives in all places of, in Portland. Oh, gosh. Uh, must be he's 40 of, okay. and unmarried, uh, no children. He's gone. Everything's good in Portland. <laughs> Except for all the protests I yeah, see. On you know, the that's just one day. part of the town. He said that's what, the, the other side of town. Okay. But you all right, Ma- about that. Now, Mike, are, are you interested in the Barbados plan or are you staying here? Uh, I think I'm going to take my chances and uh, he just bought I'm a gonna, house. I'm going to stay here. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, because he just bought that house. That's yeah. right. He's looking to buy a stove. So he's not, that, they don't have a stove in Barbados. Maybe a boy, fire pit. Boy, Mike, if only you would have known what I was offering you with this Barbados plan right, before right, you decided right. to pay for the house. Yeah, I heard the weather's fantastic there and oh, it's sure. very, very beautiful. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, All I'd right, rather fine. stay here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I'm happy okay, with that. Okay, well, you know, thanks you for guys, the offer, though. Then, Put that on yeah, your bucket you, list, Calf. All right? Yeah. yeah. Things to do in another lifetime. You guys ran on my parade. Right, so, yeah. All right. We've got a terrific show, though, to cheer me up. Big show. Hopefully it cheers you as well. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk about the death of uh, two icons. One, civil rights icon, John Lewis, and second, British theologian, J.I. Packer, passed away on the same day. We'll talk about both men. Bruce Hinmarsh will join us from Vancouver to talk about J.I. Packer. Also, it's National Moon Day, and if I know any space geek, it's John Hall. So we'll talk about the 51st anniversary of humans' first steps across the moon. Also, in the 4 o'clock hour, uh, a absolutely heartwarming, glorious, beautiful story about a little kid who's six years old who saved his littler sister from a dog attack. And all of a sudden, he's got the real-life Avengers reaching out to him. It is so good. Wait till you hear it. And coming up next, this week in the nation's capital, our weekly trip to uh, Washington, D.C. with our good friend Greg Clugston, White House correspondent for SRN News. John, he, in honor of this being the first week of baseball, is in the on-deck circle. Fabulous. Okay, take a break. Come back. Stay with us. Won't you please for just underway? It's a brand new week here on the ride home. We hope that you stay with us. We got lots to cover. One oh one point five WORD. Just because you're getting older doesn't mean your health is about to fail. Next time on Focus on the Family, Dr. Walt Laramore describes the important balance of your physical, mental, relational, and spiritual health, and how a few simple habits can provide well-being for a lifetime. Learn more next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Tonight at 8.30 on 101.5 WORD. You've all helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give back to my listeners. You can get great discounts on all MyPillow products if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener specials. You're going to see some amazing offers. Right now, MyPillow is offering an exclusive radio special. Today, we're offering buy one, get one free on a variety of amazing products, including the Supima MyPillows, MyPillow towels, roll-and-go anywhere pillows, duvet covers, Giza pillowcase, bolster pillows, and neck pillows. Plus, if you buy Mike Lindell's book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO, you'll get free shipping and a $25 gift card. Just go to MyPillow.com, enter promo code WORD, or call 800-391-0954. Be sure to use promo code WORD. MyPillow is answering the call for more face masks as the country continues to deal with a global coronavirus pandemic. They'll be making face masks for hospitals across the country. First Presbyterian Church is a beacon of light and love to this community. The message that I hear sustains me for the whole week. I love this church because of the diversity and the music and the people. The incredible beauty of the space. A warm, welcoming congregation. The people are amazing and truly love one another and Christ. And our pastor preaches the gospel. I want everybody to Pittsburgh to come and experience. First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh, in the heart of the city, with the city in its heart. Hello, I'm a famous rock star. You're too kind. Anyway, I'm just a regular guy. I love my family, and I love my sketches. <laughs> Looks like sketches is getting some love, too. They've got slip-ons. 
flexible knits, and so many ultra-comfortable shoes with Skechers' exclusive air-cooled memory foam. Yep, when it comes to comfort and style at a great price, absolutely nothing beats Skechers. Find Skechers at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, or wherever stylish shoes are sold. I consider not only my team members, but my patients, my family, and I miss them for quite a few months. Stock Family Dentistry would like to say, welcome back. One of the biggest blessings I have received is to be able to use my talents and my passion to serve my community through our dental office. And I'm proud to say that we're doing it in a very safe way. We're finally back up to full speed. It's nice to be back with family. On Perry Highway in Wexford at StockFamilyDentistry.com. Every Monday, we have the privilege of speaking to Greg Clugston, who is the SRN News White House correspondent. He gives us the latest on what's going on with the president and all things inside the Beltway. Greg, welcome back. Hi there. Thank you, Kathy and John. It's good to be here, as always, on a Monday. Thank you, Greg. So, Greg, uh, we understand that today the Trump administration has uh, signaled that they are about to start restart the daily briefings. They uh, ended sometime, I believe, in April, and we're looking forward to President Daly in front of the uh, press pool talking about the coronavirus. Can you fill us in on that? Yeah, the president mentioned that um, in talking to reporters earlier today. He was in the Oval Office with some lawmakers and other officials talking about the next round of, of relief, of COVID relief that the, uh, that the Congress is going to be working on here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, he was just talking about, you know, the, the virus and the COVID cases and the flare-ups and everything uh, in general and said, you know, he's probably tomorrow going to be resuming, reviving these daily briefings that we all, uh, you know, be- became very well aware of in the early weeks of the pandemic. Uh, for and they were well known for a couple of reasons. I mean, he he certainly held held forth there in the briefing room. The president did. Um, sometimes these sessions would run an hour, hour and a half, two hours, uh, and they were every day. They would feature a variety of of task force and government officials responding uh, to questions about uh, various aspects of the fight against. Uh, you know, against the coronavirus. So he thinks it's a, it's a good idea to go back to, to that format because of the number of cases that we are seeing right now. Uh, because in, in, in many ways, you guys, uh, what we're seeing now in terms of numbers and hospitalizations uh, is worse now than it was back at the end of April. Right. So, Greg, there are people who are of two minds of this, right? That the president, is, he was roundly criticized for those daily briefings for any number of reasons. Other people are saying it's important that you get out. You are the face of the pandemic. You need to show some leadership. Yeah, there's some tension there um, between um, that kind of advice, you know, the, the the positive impact and the potentially negative impact of the president presiding over these briefings again. It was just a couple of days ago, I think it was last Friday, you had Kellyanne Conway, the president's counselor, uh, and she by trade is a pollster, and she was saying publicly to reporters, she told us that uh, she thinks it would be really good for the president's poll numbers to be back out and the face and talking about what is on the minds of, of every American in terms of uh, the threat of this, uh, of this pandemic. Yet on the other hand, one of the, one of the problems as some people viewed it at the first round of the briefings is that the president would uh, easily get sidetracked uh, into any number of other topics or he would be uh, sort of 
you know, vamping on uh, various aspects of coronavirus, uh, which which maybe was often in conflict with what the uh, the medical and healthcare experts were saying. So there's there's kind of, it's kind of a two edged sword there in terms of the president, but he's going to ramp it up starting tomorrow apparently. Wow. Okay, so who's invited? Well, uh, it will be members of the White House press corps, and because of the COVID restrictions that are in place at the White House, it will not be the full room. It will be what we've become used to over the last couple of months. And so it's a rotating basis, and there are only about 13 reporters in the 49 chairs. Um, So, for example, I will be in that rotation uh, along with my radio network colleagues. So every 10 or 11 days, I'll be in the seat. And if there's a briefing that day, I'll be in the room. SRN News White House correspondent Greg Clugston joins us as he does every Monday. So, uh, Greg, let's move forward and talk about the president sitting down with Chris Wallace from Fox News. Again, two sides. Some said the president's performance was very strong. Others criticized him for being defensive. Right. And the, and the, what was interesting is you had uh, Chris Wallace, who has interviewed the president in the past. And, of course, he's, he's on Fox News. Uh, and the president uh, often, often feels like he's, he's got, a, if not an ally, at least a more receptive audience when it comes to, um, to working and dealing with Fox News. But Chris Wallace, uh, you know, obviously a, uh, a respected journalist, he, he was ready to confront and, um, and question some of the responses and answers the president gave. Instead of just letting the president answer those questions, uh, he a couple of times would say, that's not true, Mr. President, or where is the proof, what is the evidence? Uh, so it was combative in some ways. And uh, the, <laughs> the president, uh, he made a couple of interesting comments on, on a couple of different topics. For example, Chris Wallace asked him if he is willing to accept the results of the November election. Uh, and the president said, no, I'm going to wait, basically. He says, I'm, I, I'm not going to say yes, I'm not going to say no, I'm going to wait and see what happens. And his hesitancy there seems to be rooted in this concern that he's been vocal about for several weeks now about mail-in voting and mail-in ballots, which he thinks can lead to fraud. So he's, he's still you know, really embracing this idea that uh, the, the election results could be rigged, and he's not willing today or yesterday to say he's willing to accept the results. Okay. Did I hear a rumor that he talked about an IQ test? Yeah, yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, give me it, the details that, on that, Greg. Yeah, well, it, and he's talked about IQ before. He's talked about his own IQ. He's right. um, questioned the intelligence of of, of critics and uh, opponents, <laughs> and and he's done the same with really with Joe Biden. He 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 is portraying Joe Biden as uh, as old and out of touch, and uh, you know, really being managed. Uh, by his campaign, you know, who's, you know, he's sitting in his, you know, basement in Delaware at home, and the campaign tells him where to go, what to say, and, and what to do, that kind of thing. So that's been the portrayal of Biden by this president. And Chris Wallace asked him about uh, whether he thought the president, whether, you know, whether the president believed Biden uh, was mentally fit to be president. And the president basically said no, and then they got talking about IQ tests, and he, uh, he, he repeated what he has in the past, that, that the president has uh, taken one of these IQ tests and passed it, had a perfect score. And what was interesting is Chris Wallace was ready for that, and he said, well, Mr. President, I've taken that same online test that you referred to. 
Um, and he goes, some of the questions are pretty easy. And the president acknowledged that the first few are easy. Like, for example, out of, uh, you know, seeing a diagram of an elephant and, and you have to name what is that animal. And that was the example that Chris Wallace gave. But then the president went on to say, those last few questions, they're very hard. I don't think you could answer them or Joe Biden could answer them correctly. So he was doubling down on his own intelligence and uh, the lack thereof, apparently, of Joe Biden. Wow. It's really interesting, you know, because Fox News has been, of course, especially during the Roger Allies period, Ailes period, uh, they've been very friendly towards the president, but it seems as though the tide has turned lately. Well, and the president, uh, he often will call out uh, Fox News if he's unhappy with the results of one of their polls or if he's unhappy with uh, some of the guests or analysts that are uh, are being given airtime on the Fox News channel. Of course, it's interesting because, you know, when, when Fox News launched, you know, 20-some years ago, fair and balanced, uh, and they still talk about that as being their approach to, to news coverage, and... <clears throat> So, you know, I think Chris Wallace would defend uh, his questioning of the president as being fair and balanced, saying, sure. uh, Mr. President, I'm going to ask this question, give you the opportunity to respond. But if it doesn't really match up with with either the facts or if there's a, a necessary follow up question, we're going to hit you with that as well. I see. Mm-hmm. All right, Greg, um, let's talk about schools reopening in the fall. This is something that's, I think, on everybody's mind. I'm trying to figure out how that could possibly work, what kind of restrictions would be included, and what like day-to-day <clears throat> life would be like for American families. What did the president say about that? Yeah, it's really a follow-up, Kathy, to uh, our discussion on this a week ago today. I know last Monday we talked about um, mm-hmm. you know, the real dilemma you know, for not just parents and families and kids, but for the local school officials, governors, um, everybody involved in the process, you know, whether you're talking about transportation, getting kids on a school bus to the school, uh, the dining, the lunchroom, the cafeteria, how is that going to work? Uh, social distancing inside a classroom that may already be crowded to begin with, and then the questions that people have about the efficiency and the effectiveness of online uh, teaching and, and classes. So, you know, you just put it all together, and it's just really a very complicated situation. And the president essentially today didn't say anything new. He was repeating what he has been saying for the last week or two, and is that uh, he's really demanding that that states and local school districts open up for in-person teaching, open up the classrooms again this fall. He believes it's necessary for a couple of reasons: for um, that you know the well-being of students to be uh, to see friends and to, to see their teachers face to face. Nobody really argues with that because that is the ideal, obviously. But how you get from where we are now to that kind of, you know, return to normal situation. And, and the other thing, too, the president is, is adding to this conversation is a threat of reducing some education funding to some of the states uh, if they don't open up schools to his liking. What's interesting is, you know, the bulk of education funding comes from state and local sources, whether it's property taxes or what have you. And so really it's a very small percentage that comes from the national budget uh, from here in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., but he's still putting out that threat. See. So then, Greg, as much as the president does want the schools to reopen, and of course everybody does, but I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of power enforcing any local school district to say, right. okay, we're open for business. No, he really doesn't. And uh, at various times during this pandemic, he has issued 
similar kinds of threats, whether they are to governors to make certain actions or to lawmakers or members of Congress uh, to follow directives and that kind of thing. Uh, and sometimes, in some cases, you know, nothing came of those threats. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a talking point for the president. It was a way to express his opinion uh, and his position on something. Uh, but in some cases, they just simply did not materialize. And this could be another example of that for the very reason, John, you bring up in terms of the actual authority the president have, has when it comes to local schools. I see. Greg Klugsman's with us, SRN News White House correspondent. Uh, Greg, with only a couple minutes left, uh, Congress is back in session today. Talk about their consideration of the next COVID relief bill. Yeah, this is going to be uh, package number four in terms of you know a, a federal a federal response to uh, to helping people weather the storm of of the pandemic. And so uh, a few weeks ago, you already had the House Democrats pass a package that has a price tag of about $3 trillion. And Republicans today who are meeting at the White House with the president and the vice president and others were saying that they're starting, and from the Senate perspective, uh, run by Republicans, their their starting point is going to be one trillion. So that's the uh, that's the initial starting point range right there. One million from the Republicans, three tr- uh, I'm sorry, trillion and three trillion from from the Democrats. And so over the next couple of weeks, um, obviously the two sides, the two parties are going to be meeting and, and trying to hash out some sort of uh, agreement on on various aspects of of you know whether it's state aid, um, whether it's uh, more money for health care and, and all the rest. So they're really at the beginning point of these negotiations. Right. My wife uh, was a recipient of a small business loan. She contacted her banker to say, hey, I- I'd like to sort of get in the queue here to start to pay this thing back. The response of the banker was, we have no directives from Washington, D.C. We have no idea if and when this is even going to happen. So just stay where you are. So, uh, Gre- I mean, Greg, uh, it feels as though it's just a big quagmire. There's a lot of mess here, a lot of money in play, but I- I'm not quite sure anybody knows exactly how they have this tiger by the tail. No, you, you're right, because um, when you're talking trillions of dollars, there are going to be, you know, and, and, and that may sound that may sound inviting to people saying, hey, help is coming from from the federal government and it could come in various forms. Um, but uh, there are going to be, you know, slipping through the cracks, for example, on that PP, um, PPP assistance. For small business owners and things, um, you listen to the Secretary of the Treasury and other administration officials, and they say it was a just a roaring success. And there was a lot of money that did get out to some of those business owners. At the same time, there was a lot of confusion in the application process. People received money that didn't even request it. And then, you know, the example that you give there. And last week, Secretary Mnuchin even said some of these loans may not need to be repaid, um, um, and probably because there's just so much paperwork involved. So you're right there. It is a quagmire in some respects, uh, even as officials in Washington are trying to help. Hmm. Interesting times, Greg. We've said it 10,000 times. I'm just going to say it again. Um, before you leave us, it's National Moon Day. Are you a, a space geek like John Hall? Moon Day? Is that what you said? Yes, exactly. Yeah. The 51st anniversary of humans' first steps on the moon. Wow. I, I'm probably not a space geek. I probably wouldn't re- match that level of, you know, geekness, I guess. But, hey, I, you, I, love, you can. I love looking up. <laughs> I love looking up at the, uh, the nighttime yeah. sky as much as anybody, though. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Right. Greg, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your insight. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.
Thank you. Greg Clugston, SRN News White House correspondent. He gives us the straight dope without any filter. Uh, information about Greg, wordfm.com, and, of course, on Salem Media. Take a break. Come back. Uh, that story of the little boy who rescued his sister from so the ferocious dog has large uh, underpinnings from superheroes across the universe. Iron Man, Spider-Man, Captain America. We'll talk about that next. Stay with us. The new podcast, Forgotten, Women of Juarez, investigates a series of murders that have haunted the U.S.-Mexico border for almost 30 years. To find out more, listen to Forgotten, Women of Juarez, wherever you get your podcasts. The people in this movie share three things in common. They are courageous. They have had a life-changing experience. And they are black American conservatives. These are the voices of the movie Uncle Tom. I don't remember the actual day, but I remember the emotion that I felt when it when it happened. I'm often asked, was there an epiphany? I started asking questions. As I became more politically aware, a lot of the way that I saw things began to change. All of this information I've been taking in for several years. A continuation of these kind of contradictions. I had bought into all of these lies. You begin to see what the real agenda is. The story that is changing hearts and minds and opening eyes. Their journey will amaze you. Their courage will challenge you. Audiences everywhere are saying Uncle Tom is a must-see movie. Purchase now at UncleTom.com. Use promo code Pittsburgh for 20% off. That's UncleTom.com. Promo code Pittsburgh. Every bride is unique, and at URB Bridal Informal in Bethel Park, every dress is customized to celebrate her unique body shape from size 00 to 36. High fashion, private label designs made to order, as flattering to your budget as they are to your neckline. Enjoy a personalized, no-pressure luxury shopping experience complete with complimentary champagne and chocolate, and see the entire selection. Find a dress that celebrates you because you are beautiful at URBbridal.com. As America sits at a standstill, God is calling His people to action, to spread hope, light, and truth. If you've ever felt the tug to share your story by writing a Christian book, now is the time to embrace the stillness and put pen to paper. Join us now at ChristianAuthors.com, where we're linking arms with believers to heed the Great Commission and get Christian books into the hands of readers. That's ChristianAuthors.com, where we're amplifying truth to see lives changed. Get your free guide to Christian publishing today at ChristianAuthors.com. Hey, are you guys open? Yeah, yeah, we are. Come on in. As businesses reopen across the nation, is your business prepared for what comes next? Salem Surround can help. COVID-19 brought America's thriving economy to a screeching halt. But now, local businesses are getting back to normal. Are you ready for the return to business and all that pent-up consumer demand? Contact Salem Surround. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. 101.5 WORDFM Pittsburgh. On your smart speaker by saying, Play the word Pittsburgh. And on your phone via the Word FM mobile app, iHeart, TuneIn, and at radio.com. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low 69. Tomorrow, times of clouds and sun with a shower, thunderstorm, and spots in the afternoon with a high of 88. Tomorrow night, a shower or thunderstorm in the area with a low 70. 
Wednesday, some sun, then turning cloudy and humid, with a heavy thunderstorm around and a high of 83. With your Accurate Weather Forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. Each Friday at 5.35, John and I do the Week in Review, where we look back and talk about the stuff that happened in the week. And one of the elements that we uh, talk about on a weekly basis is the best news we heard in the last seven days. Well, listen, I picked up this story um, and read it earlier in the week. Little six-year-old by the name of Bridger Walker, a young boy who also has a young sister who's four years old. They were out walking, and both of them were attacked by a dog. Now, I apparently, from what I can understand, the dog attacked the little girl, went after the little girl first, and Bridger decided to step in. He said, I thought if someone has to die, it should probably be me. So the little six-year-old was attacked by the dog. Uh, he has had 90, 90 stitches in his face. And the photos of him and his little sister and the interview with him and just the way he looked at the situation, he said, you know, the dog was coming, the dog was strong and big. And I thought, well, I have to separate the dog from my sister. So I just got between them. Like it was a choice that any person would make, right? What's the big I deal? I love it so much. So um, America's superheroes have responded. Now, uh, earlier, Captain America sent a message to Bridger Walker and said, hey, um, I'm going to send you one of my Captain America shields. I love that so much. Iconic. So then in a message, uh, Robert Downey Jr., who is the uh, who's Iron Man, he said, Bridger, you're a rock star. I hear that Captain America sent a shield your way. I'm going to do one better. Call me on your next birthday. I've got something special for you. He said, um, uh, when you when you're producing our next movie, I want you to come and be my guest on the set. Who knows? He may be in the movie as well. Then uh, uh, Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man, he says, uh, I want you to stay brave, mate, and I'm going to send you some special Spidey material as well. So this kid's being like loved on by superheroes across the universe. Fabulous. I love it. I can't tell you how much I love it. Mm. I saw the video uh, chat between him and um, Robert Downey Jr. Okay. No, Robert Downey Jr. And Robert Downey Jr. is like, look, listen, I think you're awesome. You're a rock star. And I heard that Cap sent you like the shield. But listen, I'm better than Cap. (laughs) We all know that. And so I am going to promise you that on your birthday, you get to do something really special. And just remember... A promise of mine is better than a shield. Yeah, that's so cool. So come and join me. Call me. Super funny. Be part of it. I mean, I love when you know adults love on little kids. Yes, taking something that could be really tragic and lift somebody up. It's really excellent. It really is. And nice. none of them had to do that, right? No. None of them just doing it because it's you know they're loving on somebody. That's all. Yeah. Now you asked about the dog. Yeah. Now this is so a- whose dog was okay. it, and how so, did this go down? Okay. So this was a neighbor's dog. I don't know what kind of dog it was, um, but it was a neighbor's dog. And this is another interesting element of the story. The mom of Bridger and his little sister came out and said, "I just want you to know that our relationship with the people who own the dog is unchanged." 
They were so, they have been so kind. They feel horrible. We feel horrible. Everybody feels horrible, but it's not their fault. And they weren't being, you know, uh, irresponsible with their dog. It was just something that happened. It was an accident. We're not blaming anybody. We're just all interested in working together to maintain our community, to care for our kids, to love our animals and do the best we can. Okay. Isn't well, it good to hear that it didn't turn into like a a massive lawsuit? Exactly, or finger right? pointing, and I hate them, and they yeah, hate yeah, me, yeah. That's know. really good. So fabulous. Okay, good news on top of good news for Bridger yes. Walker and his sister. I mean, if you get a chance, look this story up because he's a sweetheart, but man, he looks like a mess, oh. and his little sister standing right by him. He did do the right thing, didn't he? He sure did. Yeah. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Pastor Eric Andre. We're going to talk about racism and a biblical perspective of race and racism. Stay with us. It's the Ride Home with John and Kathy here on Word FM. One hundred one point five WORD. You know, God takes no delight in judging sin, and that's why He sent tender-hearted men to deliver harsh messages. One of them was Micah, whose message was for both Samaria and Jerusalem. This week, our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, takes us through Micah's message of judgment and his deep mourning for what was about to happen because of the nation's sin. So join us as we make our way through the Bible. This evening at 9 p.m. on 101.5 WORD. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Stock market have you nervous with all the massive fluctuations? With the impact of coronavirus and the upcoming election, it's virtually impossible to guess what will happen next. With Vantage Point, you don't have to. Text the word money to 411411 to find out how our technology can forecast market trend changes with up to 87.4% accuracy. That's right, 87.4%. Text the word money to 411411 to get what you need to stay ahead of market trends and better protect yourself from sudden downturns. Vantage Point's patented technology analyzes huge quantities of global data in seconds. No more guessing when to stay or when to get out. Text money to 411411 and we'll send you a link to our free demo. Text money to 411411 so you can better protect your hard-earned capital with Vantage Point. Don't wait. Text the word money to 411411. Go to vantagepointsoftware.com for terms, conditions, and privacy policy. WORD celebrates the high school class of 2020, and we'd like to reward your college-bound seniors' achievement during our Senior Spotlight Sweepstakes presented by Salem Media Group. Enter now through August 20th for a chance to win a $500 school package. Click the contest banner at wordfm.com and upload a photo of your senior with a short bio of their future plans. Then, Friday, August 21st, one lucky senior will win a $500 school package. The Senior Spotlight Sweepstakes, brought to you in part by Salem Media Group, Salem Surround, and this station. This is Tim Seckler inviting you to tune in each and every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by my law firm, the Seckler Law Firm. Each week, we'll talk about your family's well-being as it relates to elder law, nursing home stays, estate planning, and keeping your hard-earned savings. And if you missed the Life and Legacy Show, you will find it archived at secklerlawfirm.com. See you Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy Show. We're all thinking a lot about school these days. Like, will the kids ever go back? Or why can't they have enough work to last the whole day? Or if it's all online, what are the teachers really doing? Now's a perfect time to consider a Christian education with a school who will be a true educational partner for you and your family. 
Many are offering half-price tuitions for first-time enrollees, like Cornerstone Prep in West Mifflin. Find a school that's right for you at wordfm.com slash tuitions. So how does the Bible look at race and perhaps racism? Pastor Eric Andre is back with us again. Pastor is the campus chaplain, Lutheran Student Fellowship of Pittsburgh, also associate pastor at First Trinity Church in the North Oakland neighborhood here in the city of Pittsburgh. Pastor Andre, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, John. How are you doing? We're good. No complaints at all, Eric. Trying to stay nice and cool during these days. Yeah, do it the best we can. It is often a losing battle. I will tell you that, Eric. All right. Tell us about racism. First off, from your own personal perspective, tell us about your family. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, for me, I have a personal stake in this. I come from a, a, a multi-ethnic, multi-racial family. My wife's from Mexico, uh, extended family. I have, uh, you know, folks uh, with African-American background. And, and my mom uh, was very much when, when she was in college, of course, I do campus ministry. When she was in college, she was very much uh, working at the forefront of the civil rights movement locally at her college in the South in North Carolina. She was at the March on Washington with Martin Luther King. Uh, and wow. so, you know, that's just kind of that heritage has been passed on to me. Um, you know, family, my, my, my father's from Sweden, which is especially at that time, uh, when I grew up there, I'm 48 now. We moved here when I was eight, but a very, very kind of monolithic society. But, you know, he, he, both my parents just emphasized, I, 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 I vividly remember, I, I always recall this, uh, when, when I was in high school, and starting to date, my dad told me and my older sister when we were starting to date, he said, I don't care if the person you date is black, white, brown, purple, green, yellow. I don't care as long as they shower. So that, that, was, <laughs> that, that, was, his, okay. that was his rule. You know? That's that kind of a low rule. bar, but you, you, know, you take what you get, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so anyway, yeah, I mean, so, so – both in terms of family makeup and kind of the background, this has always been something that's been important important to me. And now as a pastor, you know, something I want to I pass on to my students and how we can think, you know, think on this topic from a Christian biblical perspective and be engaged in it. And, of course, we don't have a lot of time today. I mean, this is a huge issue now, and, of course, it's an ongoing sure. issue in the United States. It's an ongoing conversation that's really been heightened and deepened here uh, over the past several months. And, you know, today we'll just do an admittedly brief, uh, inadequate look at the framework from which maybe this conversation, that of course, needs to, needs to continue. Okay. Good. So then let's go at it, Eric. What is the framework? How does the Bible speak about race? Yeah, I mean, I think we can kind of rattle off the basic precepts, the basic doctrines, if you will, uh, of Scripture. The basic story of God's interaction with his people also gives us the framework for, on, from which how to address the issue of race and racism. So for, first of all, from the beginning, God is creator. Uh, the creator of all human beings, and that therefore the dignity and the worth of every human being is a given and not something that is earned or achieved by any kind of status whatsoever, other than that we are created and therefore valued and beloved of God. Uh, Martin Luther in his small catechism summarized the first article of the creed on creation by saying that all of what God gives us in creation, including me, my body, uh, he gives this and does this only out of his fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. So there's no merit or worthiness uh, inherent in my skin color. 
other than that God has made me as I am, as he has made my neighbor as he or she is, uh, as a creator. So, I mean, I think that, that's, that's the very first most, most basic thing. Um, yeah, and, 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 and then it goes on from there. And again, maybe I'll just rattle these off and then we can well, talk Well, hold on for a minute, Eric. Yeah. Let me break yeah, in please. and say that last week yeah, we, did, we did an interesting segment. Um, John spearheaded it on how Jesus became white. And we mm-hmm. talked about the different artistic representations of Jesus around the world, but particularly because John and I are white, we were talking about how it is that people started, you know, accepting, you know, uh, whether it's a, whether it's a drawing or a painting or whatever of Jesus who kind of looks like he's from Dayton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, th- but see, that's a very good segue to the next point I want to make the incarnation, right? God becomes flesh. God becomes a human being. God becomes an ethnicity and, and a race, if we want to use that construct. But interestingly enough, and it's funny, I was just discussing this over lunch with, with a colleague of mine, where and, and how is, is God incarnate in Jesus Christ? Right in the middle of probably where, in a sense, all these, the, the, kind of the geographical central point of race and ethnicity in the Mideast, where you have, you know, just a little bit to the right on the map, you know, Arabic and Asian, just a little bit north, predominantly white European, just a little bit to the south, predominantly black African. And in there comes the Jewish Jesus, right? We don't have any photographs, but yeah, he, all, in all likelihood, he does not look like the blonde, uh, blue-eyed Nordic Jesus that's on the altar painting of the cathedral in Sweden in Linköping, where my dad was ordained. But at the same time, and, and, and you know, this may be, I don't know if this is controversial to say, but I think there is something also healthy. I think it's healthy to recognize the historical incarnation and who Jesus was and what he probably looked like. And we have to keep that, obviously. At the same time, there's also something healthy about various communities saying, well, that, that Jesus, that Lord, he also is, is mine. He belongs to me and my people. And so I think throughout history, we have seen various artistic depictions of Jesus uh, looking more or less like one ethnicity or, or race, depending on the community in which he's depicted. And I don't think that's altogether wrong, uh, as long as we keep in mind this may not be historically accurate, and as long as we also keep in mind when those communities get more diverse, how then do we wrestle with certain depictions? And, and we have to wrestle with that within a given community then, and, and, and that's all right too. Um, but I don't think it's wholly, you know, I don't think it's wholly wrong for to have a, a children's book where, you know, maybe if this, if I'm an African American parent reading this to my child, maybe that Jesus is depicted as a little bit darker, and if I'm white, that Jesus may be depicted a little bit lighter. It's, it's, you know, and then we learn as we grow, or maybe reversing the books. Maybe we trade books <laughs> with our with children right. from a different ethnicity or race and read those books to each other too, and broaden the scope a little bit in that sense. Isn't it? There's something weird though to me, uh, Eric. About I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but from my perspective, I'm not sure why it's important to us that we think that Jesus looked like us. Well, I, I don't know that it's important that he looked like us, but I guess maybe if we think of it from an incarnational perspective, it's certainly important that we recognize that, that he, he was like one us. of us, right? That he's one of us, that he's okay. a human being, that he came in the flesh. Okay. And, and there can be ways that are more or less helpful to that. And I think we should put the best construction on, on you know, those various depictions and how people have appropriated that, while at the same time not denying that they can be misappropriated, that they can use, certainly depictions can be used to, to repress people. Art is not neutral. Um, but, but I think the key point that I want to make here is that in the incarnation, God becomes human, and he becomes, you know, as Adam is the father of the human race, 
St. Paul then speaks of the second Adam as the one who also then Jesus takes into himself the whole of the human race, regardless of what he looked like. And again, we don't have photographs. He embodies literally the whole of the human race. In him, you know, we are all made one. St. Paul writes, and I love this passage in Ephesians 2, St. Paul writes, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who has made us both one. Now he's referring to specifically Jews and Gentiles here, but again, Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody. (laughs) He's made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in, in himself one new man in place of the two and thus make peace, reconciling us to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. You know, if God can reconcile us in the one man, Jesus Christ himself, he can certainly reconcile us sinners to one another as well. And so there we have the incarnation leading directly to the gospel, the good news of reconciliation in the one man. He he belongs to all of us equally. He belongs to the human race. He is our Lord, our Savior, our God. And, And I think that's the sense in which we should rightly, so to speak, appropriate. Faith, faith makes Christ its own, right? He, 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 and as, we, as he belongs to us, of course, so, so we belong to him, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, I mean, would a, it be so? Yep. Right, it is. I mean, would it be so that we were all black, white, red, yellow, all believers and lovers of Jesus Christ and came together at the foot of the cross of Calvary? But of course, we don't live in a, we live in a deeply fallen world. Yeah, it's it's often been said that the Sunday morning hours is, is unfortunately the most segregated, and of course that's it's not going to you know if 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 the worship hour now is the most segregated, won't it be wonderful when it's and, and of course we work we yes. work for that we work and pray and and that that would be more and more integrated, uh, and we know that it will be so in heaven, and we want the heavenly reality as we pray in the Lord's prayer. Uh, we want the kingdom as it is in heaven to be so on earth, we pray that it would be that way here. We know in heaven that every tribe, every tongue, every nation is gathered before the throne. And we know that Christ himself, when he sent out the apostles with, with what we commonly call the Great Commission in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen and 20, he sent out them to teach and baptize to all nations. And that word nations, interestingly enough, is ethne, all ethne. In other words, all mm-hmm. ethnicities. Jesus literally says, go out and teach and baptize all ethnicities. All right, Eric, I got to cut you off. Sorry, we are done with our uh, with our time clock here. Uh, Eric Andres with us, has been with us, campus chaplain, Lutheran Student Fellowship of Pittsburgh and First Trinity Church in the North Oakland section of town. Eric, we're happy to know you. Happy to talk to you again. I feel like we haven't seen you in about 100 years, um, but thanks for being here with us today on the show. My pleasure. I'll just say if we're body and bloody together at the altar and baptized together, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. I'm into that. Thank you so much. Let's take a break. Come back in just a few minutes. We're going to uh, talk about uh, the story of a weird doctor who said he's done. Well, anybody who quits taking care of their bodily cleanliness, he's not showering. He's not showering, John. Mm, Okay. I hope he was brushing his teeth at least. Do you remember what was kept in a springhouse? If you're an old-timer, you know that a springhouse was used for storing fresh, cold milk. In 84 Pennsylvania, we have another kind of springhouse. Our springhouse is an old-fashioned country store filled with all kinds of old-time gifts, great country foods, and you guessed it, fresh, cold milk. 
You see, the Spring House in 84 is also a dairy farm where we milk our own cows, pasteurize and homogenize the milk, and sell it all through the store. We've had people tell us it has to be some special kind of gourmet milk. We don't add anything to the cow's diet or to the milk. It's just nature's purest, most perfect food, and we love the way our customers love it. We also make a chocolate milk you would think is a chocolate shake, an old-fashioned buttermilk that people drive miles to get, and a 40% heavy cream that's wonderful for luscious desserts. Our 2% and our skim are the greatest sellers. Come and try some Springhouse milk at the Springhouse in 84. Washington County parents, you have a choice in your child's education. So why not consider a private Christian school that's been serving the community for nearly 40 years? At Central Christian Academy in Houston, pre-K through 8th grade students receive the comprehensive education they need to propel them to the top of the class in high school and beyond. Central Christian Academy creates model student leaders other kids look up to. Students prepared for a world that needs Jesus. Schedule a private tour and learn more at ccaschool.com. First Presbyterian Church is a beacon of light and love to this community. The message that I hear sustains me for the whole week. I love this church because of the diversity and the music and the people. The incredible beauty of the space. A warm, welcoming congregation. The people are amazing and truly love one another and Christ. And our pastor preaches the gospel. I want everybody in Pittsburgh to come and experience. First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh, in the heart of the city, with the city in its heart. AT&T, $76 a month. Verizon Wireless, $83 a month. Sprint, $92 a month. That's what the average family of four is saving a month by switching to Pure Talk USA. Pure Talk will give you unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data, all for just $20 a month. Go to puretalkusa.com, enter the promo code HALFOFF, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Pure Talk USA. Promo code half off. Here Talk USA. Simply smarter wireless. WORD celebrates the high school class of 2020, and we'd like to reward your college bound seniors' achievement during our Senior Spotlight Sweepstakes presented by Salem Media Group. Enter now through August 20th for a chance to win a $500 school package. Click the contest banner at wordfm.com and upload a photo of your senior with a short bio of their future plans. Then, Friday, August 21st, one lucky senior will win a $500 school package. The senior your Spotlight Sweepstakes, brought to you in part by Salem Media Group, Salem Surround, and this station. Some five years ago, a man by the name of Dr. James Hamblin gave up something important. Showering. What? Showering. He tossed the shampoo and conditioner, John. He quit soap altogether except for hand washing. He stopped using deodorant, moisturizer, exfoliant, and every other personal care product. Now, I want you to know, in case you're concerned, he does still rinse himself occasionally. Oh, okay? man. Sometimes he gets his hair wet, but for oh. all intents and purposes, he is walking among us as an unclean man. I'm assuming unquote. this man is not married. Well, it does not say he's married. It says that he is a doctor turned journalist. He moved from New York to L.A. five years ago and found himself living in a tiny studio apartment. And as part of what he calls an existential audit, he considered all the things that he might do without. He says, what if all those products that we use daily, shampoo, soap, all the rest of it, just make us need to buy more of them? 
but aren't really doing anything for it? What if they're actually bad for us? So he's written this new book where he talks about this. He says, much like our digestive tract, our skin is home to trillions of crucial bacteria. And his book posits the idea that scrubbing ourselves daily with cleaning agents destroys or upsets that important microbiome and could lead to worse health outcomes. So you could die from being too clean. I think so. That's what the doctor says. The doctor turned journalist. The next time we have Dr. Richard Zimmerman with us, let's ask him about that. Okay. I want to show you the picture of Dr. James Hamblin. because he's, He's extremely young. Oh, well, he looks fine there. Yeah, he does look fine. Yeah. I'm telling you. He says yeah. he's fine. He said, if you skip a day of showering, just so you know, you won't look or smell like an onion. I don't emanate some offensive odor and I don't get really oily looking. I smell like a person. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, good for him. And I hope that his wife or whoever loves him. Strong. Listen on your smart speaker, the Word FM app at wordfm.com, iHeart, tune in, and on radio.com, in the car or at home too, at 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Scientists at Oxford University reporting some success with their experimental coronavirus vaccine. In an early trial, the vaccine has been shown to prompt a protective immune response in hundreds of people who got the shot. British researchers first began testing the vaccine in April. President Trump bringing back the daily White House coronavirus task force briefings. Those public sessions ended in late April, but Mr. Trump plans to resume them starting this week. Top GOP leaders met today with the president to discuss the next COVID-19 aid package. Speaking with reporters in the Oval Office, the president expressing optimism about getting a package hammered out. Big technology companies powered stocks higher today. The Dow picked up 8 points, the Nasdaq up 263, and the S&P 500 gained 27. This is SRN News. This is good news. Maybe exactly when you need it to. Right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MediShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance. And MediShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month, but you might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's health care costs, and because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by July 31st, and you'll save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second, and if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch, like more than 400,000 people already have, and start saving. Here it is. Call 844-57-BIBLE. That's 844-57-BIBLE. 844-57-BIBLE. You've all helped build my pillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of my pillow, wants to give back to my listeners. You can get great discounts on all my pillow products if you go to mypillow.com right now and click on the radio listener specials. You're going to see some amazing offers. Right now, MyPillow is offering an exclusive radio special. Today, we're offering buy one, get one free on a variety of amazing products, including the Supima MyPillows, MyPillow Towels, Roll-and-Go Anywhere Pillows, Duvet Covers, Giza Pillowcase, Bolster Pillows, and Neck Pillows. Plus, if you buy Mike Lindell's book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO, you'll get free shipping and a 
$75 gift card. Just go to MyPillow.com, enter promo code WORD, or call 800-391-0954. Be sure to use promo code WORD. MyPillow is answering the call for more face masks as the country continues to deal with a global coronavirus pandemic. They'll be making face masks for hospitals across the country. Finding the right type of care for your loved one can be a highly emotional decision. Moving your loved one to a nursing home, rehab center, or independent care may not be necessary. XL Home Care can provide a warm, family-like environment with an XL caregiver, or you may even qualify to get paid to take care of the ones you love. To learn more, call 412-212-8950, 412-212-8950, Excel Home Care, a help-at-home company. Seasons of change and uncertainty can be difficult, even scary, but they don't have to control or define you. The counselors of the Grace Wellness Center would consider it a privilege to come alongside and help you replace the fear and frustration with freedom and peace. While office visits are still available throughout the area, Grace Wellness Center also offers online and phone appointments to make counseling convenient and available on your terms, accepting all major insurances at thegracewellnesscenter.com. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low 69. Tomorrow, times of clouds and sun with a shower, thunderstorm and spots in the afternoon with a high of 88. Tomorrow night, a shower thunderstorm in the area with a low 70. Wednesday, some sun and turning cloudy and humid with a heavy thunderstorm around and a high of 83. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Who among us has not had some wanderlust and thought, you know, a great way to see America would be to take a long-distance train trip? Kathy? All, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I got so excited. Yeah, would you like to do that? always wanted to do that. Yeah. Uh, now, I've had family members not do the Amtrak trip across America, but they did the Canadian Railways mm. trip across Canada, which they absolutely loved. Love to now, do that. Years ago, when I lived in New York City, um, often I would take the train back and forth from New York City to Pittsburgh. It was a long, long, and mostly expensive trip. It was kind yeah. of like the last resort. The problem with Amtrak is that passenger service is not first priority. So you find yourself being pushed to the side to make room for the freight trains. So your trains are often running late. They're slow. Mm -hmm. Track maintenance is poor. But once you get on the train, and especially to take that long-haul trip, with time is not really of essence, it might be a fun way to travel. Check this out. For long-haul trips, Amtrak has private room accommodations, traveling by roomette, bedroom, bedroom suite, family bedroom, or accessible bedroom provides you the most comfort and privacy during the pandemic. If you travel coach, there are reclining seats, plenty oh, of leg it. room, forget but it. you're just open to the environment. No way. No way. There's no way I'm doing that. Right. So if you book a bedroom or family bedroom suite, beds lie down with fresh linens. The only people you'll come in contact with is the conductor who comes around to make sure your ticket is valid. But the big problem is, is food. Yeah. Where do you eat? 
Well, in the past, they've had club cars. Amtrak has cut back on club cars. So in this article from today's Washington Post, how to take a long-distance train trip during the pandemic, they're suggesting you bring your own food. So what do you do? You got a cooler with you, and you're packing like, you know, 85 ham sandwiches and some, you know, Kool-Aid? I don't know. Plus, how long is this train trip? I mean, if I'm taking a train trip, I'd like it to be about five days long. I'm going to need a heck of a lot of food. A friend of mine who's in his early 70s took his 94-year-old mother across country from Pittsburgh to Los Angeles, and she was in a wheelchair. He said it was very tricky, but it was a trip of a lifetime. I would, I bet it would be. Yeah. See, I, I would love to do it, but let, I, the food, forget it. So yeah. is the Washington Post saying that you can, like, that it's workable to actually bring enough food to make yeah. this happen? They said you can pack whatever you want to pack, but they also say, you know, buyer beware because there's food available, but it's not that great food. It's probably like, you know, stuff that you would get, like, you know, at, at, at a drive in, you know, a it burger, a hot food. dog. No. I mean, it was the thing I always hated about train trips, and I I enjoyed train trips. I haven't taken that many, maybe three or four in my life, and it was all between here and New Jersey. Yeah, right, right. So it's not like I was going in like a super scenic part of the country or something. The Horseshoe Curve. But the Horseshoe Curve was fun, of course. Really cool to see that. But the food was terrible. Right. It was really terrible. My guess is for, you know, it's a certain type of traveler, someone who's a little bold, who doesn't worry about time too much, who's not going to worry about food too much. If you're a low maintenance traveler, it might be kind of a fun way to go. All right. So if that doesn't appeal to you, I have another idea. Oh, I'm thinking about RVing. Oh, okay. All right. Now that's all the rage as well, but good luck getting your RV. Right. Well, I can't help you with getting an RV, but I did see an interesting story in today's USA Today about the things that you should know before you do it. Hmm, Like the things that are really important that this guy wishes he would have known before he took his first trip. Really? Okay. Okay. It will not surprise you that several of these elements have to do with the toilet. Oh, because if you don't know what you're doing as far as emptying it, Mm. caring for it or whatever, whatever trouble is going to be horrific. All right. I think we can imagine that, right? Yeah. He also says, and let me let me like cite this guy appropriately. Uh, this is, oh, I've made a horrible error. Which is? It's a woman. Uh-oh. Carly. Huh? Carly. Oh. I'm sorry. Okay. I fell down. I didn't honor my own gender. Anyway, Carly says um, that you should remember your toolkit. She said that's a big thing because everything is moving and jiggling all the time. All sorts of things come loose, and you would never think of that if you had never been on the road in an RV before. What you mean? She's talking about the engine, or she's talking about the passenger stuff, compartment? Stuff, stuff like the the rear view mirror, the side mirror, what? Like little latches on the cor- on the car, you know, on the seat. These are expensive vehicles. All sort. Listen, she said, "Bring your toolkit." Really? And okay. I All believe right. since I since I thought Carly was a man, now I'm trying to get back in her good graces. Okay, I listened to what she said. Sure. She said, you don't bring enough cookware when you start out on this trip. You think mm-hmm. if you're renting an RV, it's going to come with everything it needs. Well, it doesn't. She said, you need leveling blocks. She said, it's easy to find a campsite that is not level. In fact, most campsites aren't level. But if you buy these leveling blocks, you can make your RV like- at the right height, which I thought was good to know. Sure, sure, sure. She talked about the importance of downloading camping apps. 
that can tell you where there's a spot for you before you get to a certain area. She said, otherwise you're driving. You don't know where to go. There's no place to pull in. And so yeah. you're done. Right. You got nothing. You got absolutely you're, nothing, right? You're not going to do this really. You're, I can imagine you absolutely hating this. Well, I'm, I really, really would like to go somewhere. Yeah. I am considering every alternative at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm so an you, open slate. So soon you've got a week of vacation coming up. Yes. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm happy to do a staycation. I really am. I, I'm fine. I really, I, I, so, you know, to get on a train or to uh, rent an RV, that seems like a lot of hassle, Kath. It really does. Staycation, John, is just not. I'm fine with it. Just, I think you just got to suck just, it up. I just, I have the wanderlust. How about the ocean? Would you go to the ocean? I would love to go to the ocean. I'm a little concerned about where we'd stay though. Right. Well, I would imagine, um, I was talking to my sister about this yesterday. She said that, the, of course, the safest route is to, uh, uh, to do the Airbnb because mm. the owners are much more inclined to have a cleanliness rating or, you know, something just much more amenable as opposed to going through a real estate agent or going through a, a hotel. All right. Well, so, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. I mean, so I've stayed can, in I've stayed in a lot of Airbnbs, and I've had I've never had a bad experience in a in an Airbnb. I have so one far. bad experience so yeah. far. Right. Tell me, what was your bad experience? Well, the chickens, the rooster, the rooster. You were fine with the chickens. Yeah, the rooster kept me like four o'clock in the morning. You know, rooster was waking me up in the Outer Banks. Nobody mentioned the rooster in the listing. Mike, do you remember how we just roasted him for that? Do you remember how merciless we were? I was away, and I made the mistake of telling you while this was going on, right? Yeah. Our, po- was- our, po- our poet laureate, uh, right. Jim from Allison Park, actually wrote a poem in honor of the rooster. Right. Oh, and one yes. time one time I that rented um, an Airbnb, <laughs> but I rented it for the wrong day. <laughs> so the person cashed my money yeah and then and then and then she wrote chuckle chuckled oh i'll try to help you get your money back and of course she never did yeah because she didn't care no she didn't care she took my cash and then she wrote a fake post saying john and his wife greatly enjoy their stay i never showed up oh that's the wrong name i mean one thing if she's not going to return your money but the other thing if she starts putting words in your mouth i know she called me out i I wanted to call her out that's awful john i'm sorry all right so yeah what the heck anyway so rv or train and you're uh, going to just choose to your front porch. I'm staying home. I'm staying no, home. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. That's the least I can do. All right. Coming up next, uh, we haven't talked to Dr. Thomas Kidd from Baylor University in a long mm. time, so we're really happy that he's waiting, uh, hopefully, uh, in the wings for the next segment. We're going to talk about American, American history not canceled. While Christians can't erase the church's slaveholding past, we can change the symbols, statues, and namesakes we celebrate. That's nice. our conversation next. Dr. Thomas Kidd on the Monday edition of The Ride Home. WORD. Next time on PowerPoint with Jack Cram. Your faith in Jesus Christ, if it is a passionate faith, will be put to the test. You will face the flock for your faith in Jesus Christ. Tune in next time for PowerPoint with Jack Cram. PowerPoint tonight at 930 on 101.5 WORD. I know that on those tablets Mr. Moses brought down is the commandment to not covet. But I'll confess, 
My neighbor and his lawnmower is making it tough. He's got this stand-behind, ride-along space shuttle that covers probably three times more space than my trusty old lawn boy. So, when we have who mows the fastest races, which are completely fabricated in my head, he has some impressive advantages that I just don't have. It's Ryan, and at our Faith and Family Mortgage Team, we're blessed to have a pretty special advantage of our own, and one that could be a big deal for you. Our team is lucky to be an arm of a bigger company that is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls, an advantage that often allows us to get you a better rate, saving you monthly and lifelong money on a refinance or new home purchase. We are United Faith Mortgage. We pay your appraisal fees up to $500. United Mortgage Court, Melville, New York. MLS number 1330. Department of Banking. Mortgage Lender License number 22672. It's an unwritten rule of motherhood to put family before yourself. While very noble, it can also be counterproductive. This is Dr. Corin Garchak, the female half of the husband and wife team at Tranquility Specific Chiropractic. As a mother of two, let me encourage you, mom, not to ignore those aches and pains you've been feeling. Your family needs you at your best. We're here to help you meet the challenge. Tranquility Specific Chiropractic, 412-833-1314. Hi, I'm John Henney from Henney Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our to have and to hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HennyJewelers.com. Henny Jewelers, your jewelers for life. AT&T, $76 a month. Verizon Wireless, $83 a month. Sprint, $92 a month. That's what the average family of four is saving a month by switching to Pure Talk USA. Pure Talk will give you unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data, all for just $20 a month. Go to puretalkusa.com, enter the promo code off, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. puretalkusa.com, promo code off. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. I think we're all aware of living through this uh, phase of American history where we live in cancel culture, we're tearing down statues. It's just a, a very weird time to be alive. Well, Dr. Thomas Kidd is with us once again. Dr. Kidd has been with us many times over the years. He is um, the James Vardaman Distinguished Professor of History at Baylor University. Dr. Kidd's books include Benjamin Franklin, The Religious Life of a Founding Father, and American Colonial History, Clashing Cultures and Faiths. Here today to talk to us about a piece that he wrote in Christianity Today called American History is Not Canceled. Dr. Kidd, welcome back. How are you, sir? Doing fine. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, always happy to have you, Tom. Welcome back. Um, I I think the conversation about the tearing down of statues that's going on right now in America uh, is missing one important element in particular, and that is the fact that putting up and tearing down statues, you write, has been part of American history from its beginning. That's right, yeah. Uh, Some of your listeners may remember that in 1776, there was a statue of King George III there in New York City, and the Patriots uh, just pulled it right down after the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, we look back on moments like that. I think most Americans would look back on that as a positive thing. Um, so often in history, it's, you know, it's easy to look back on things and, and imagine, oh, yeah, I would have supported that. 
But even George Washington thought that was a bad idea, uh, pulling down the statue of George III because he thought this is vandalism. We shouldn't be doing these kinds of things. And so, you know, these issues about what statues should be up and which ones should come down and how they should come down, this has been with us from the beginning. Yes. So, I mean, Christians, of course, uh, especially Jews, they have a complicated history as well with the golden calf. There's another statue. That's right. I mean, you know, the scripture is not too keen on uh, statues. And and they used the golden calf, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's statue that he set up and told people to worship. And I mean, it's in the Ten Commandments about you shall not make any graven images. Um, And and I think the, the reason for that, I mean, in Christian history, this hasn't always been understood as an absolute prohibition against statues of any kind. But certainly, there's always a risk of idolatry, uh, and sometimes, like in Nebuchadnezzar's case or the golden calf, I mean, they're being created to be worshipped as an alternative to the to worship of, of the true God. So yes. um, I, I think, you know, going as as a Protestant, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, there should always be a little bit of a religious hesitation about erecting statues and then being, you know, really dogmatic about we can never take them down. Mm-hmm. Now, Tom, I appreciate the piece because you're transparent about your own history. You say, you know, before you came a believer, you yourself, you know, a native of South Carolina, you thought, well, this would be a good thing. I mean, statues should be allowed, but things changed after you became a believer. That's right. Yeah, I, I grew up in South Carolina and among friends and extended family. There was definitely a pretty strong uh, kind of neo-Confederate uh, sensibility, certainly that there's nothing wrong with having Confederate statues and the Confederate flag. And, you know, those days it was very controversial about the Confederate flag had been flying over the South Carolina State House uh, since the days of the Civil Rights Movement. And as a reaction against the Civil Rights Movement, uh, white politicians had put that up. And, and so, um, you know, I, I was very familiar growing up with, with the idea that it was, a, you know, the argument is that it's Southern pride and it's a out of respect for, for history. And I, I think that's still true, I, I think, for a lot of the people who would display those things. But I, I, I when I became a believer in my late teens, I, I think I started thinking about it a little differently, that, you know, I, I could understand why African Americans would have a problem with those symbols. And it, it kind of came to the fore in my experience that I would not want anything like that, a Confederate flag or a Confederate uh, monument to be a block between me and, say, an African-American, especially African-American believers. Um, and, and it just wasn't that important to me anymore to try to defend uh, those those types of monuments. So I think as a, as a Christian, my thinking started to change a bit on those issues. Dr. Thomas Kidd is with us, James Vardaman, Distinguished Professor of History at Baylor University. Um, Tom, let's talk about um, how how many statues were, that we're talking about, particularly, I guess, in the American South, were, constru- were constructed post-Reconstruction. How many were like in the early part of the 20th century? How many were like unbelievably recent that it's shocking? Uh, it, it's true that, that most of the monuments went up uh, between, say, the 1870s and the 19-teens. Um, and, and so uh, that most of the you know, sort of city square monuments were in place by that time. 
Um, but they did keep popping up, uh, you, you know, the, uh, the the Confederate flag over the South Carolina State House is, is one example. Um, there There's a monument to Nathan Bedford Forrest in Selma, Alabama, that went up in 2010. I couldn't believe uh, that. When just, I read that, I, I was so shocked. Yeah, I mean, and, and Nathan Bedford Forrest is not the most appealing Confederate figure you can find either. I mean, he, he was a founder of the Ku Klux Klan in the 1860s. He, he committed war crimes as part of his service for the Confederacy. Um, and, and so, you know, I would think for people like Nathan Bedford Forrest, for, for Christians, this should be a pretty easy call. Um, yes. But, of course, it goes along a continuum uh, of, of people who are more prominent, um, more associated with the American Revolution, like George Washington, who I, I really do think it's it's a tough call, and it would be uh, great if we could do these things through a sort of democratic, deliberative process uh, rather than uh, just yanking statues down like the Patriots did in 1776. And so, Thomas, here you join us from Baylor University, and you talk about this in your piece, whether it's the Southern Baptist Convention, and of course they are a large uh, Christian denomination across the United States, or Baylor University itself, which, you know, the head of Baylor has a statue that's erected on campus. I mean, talk about those modern-day quagmires. Now you've got to work your way through. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think most uh, Southern uh, universities that are of any age at all or, or, you know, a lot of prominent churches have these kind of issues. Um, you know, my, my alma mater of Clemson University is on John C. Calhoun's former plantation. I mean, we know where the slave quarters were there. And so, I mean, it, it's a, there's public schools, there's Christian schools, there's churches, um, and, and, you know, uh, again, I, I think that if we can have a, a full, uh, humble, sober reckoning about these kinds of things, uh, that's always going to be better. I, I, you know, I think statues often are going to be a tougher call. Uh, you, you know, the Judge Baylor statue on my campus here at, at Baylor University, you know, is not known by most alumni and students as, I mean, uh, you know, the, you don't associate that with pro-slavery. Uh, but the fact is, is that uh, Judge Baylor was a uh, was a slave owner and, uh, you know, a kind of pro-slavery politician. So um, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, soul searching that needs to happen about, it, are those things that we still want to have up in places of honor and, and prominence if by uh, all evidence, all accounts, they're just going to continue to be uh, an irritant uh, to campus communities, to churches, to denominations, um, and be a real problem for maintaining ethnic unity, uh, even among Christians. Yeah. Dr. Thomas Kidd with us from Baylor University. He's written an article for Christianity Today called American History is Not Canceled. So speaking of American history, you make a statement in here that kind of jumped out and grabbed me, Thomas. I want to read it back to you and ask for your comment. You say, quote, if our primary citizenship is in heaven and our primary allegiance is to the global church, that makes a difference about how much we revere American history. Now, as an American history professor, that's saying something. Right. So I, I've uh, committed my life to studying a second-order commitment as a Christian. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I guess I think, um, you know, I really admire George Washington. And I really admire uh, Abraham Lincoln um, and, you know, the, the, some of the figures who are most commonly memorialized in American culture. 
And yet, as a Christian, um, especially if we decided in a, in a kind of deliberative process that it would be better not to have statues up to them, uh, to Washington as a slave owner, uh, even Lincoln had, you, you know, some racist views that were common among white people at his, at his time. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't personally think that we need to take down monuments like that, but if we did, um, it wouldn't do anything to hurt my faith. I mean, they're not part of my faith. They're, they're part of my uh, patriotic commitments as an American, but those, those are second place to my Christian commitments. And I think that that's, that's a healthy kind of Christian patriotism. Um, and, and so I think that's why I'm, I'm able, in part, to sort of take a little bit of a step back from these debates and not get quite as wound up about them, because I just think as a Christian who's committed primarily to the kingdom of God and the global church, that, um, you know, even if I think, uh, you know, taking down this or that statue might be a bit of an overreaction, I still don't, it doesn't touch, you know, the most important parts of who I am as, as a believer. And so, um, if that's what we decided to do as a people, I, I, I could accept that. Right. And, and I feel the same way, Thomas. The, the only problem is, how do you do it? I mean, do you tear down the statues by mob, or is there conversations and consideration and then action taken? Yeah. Well, I, I think that, I mean, it's also a pretty easy call for Christians that vandalism uh, is, is just not the best option. I mean, you know, if we had a King Nebuchadnezzar who set up a statue in order us to worship it, you know, maybe then we would think about vandalism. <laughs> but, but right, you know, right. I, I, I think in our civil society, vandalism is not the, the right way to go. And I, I mean, I look at what just happened in Mississippi. Uh, you know, Mississippi had for a long time had the Confederate battle flag as part of their state flag, and there have been, you know, calls for decades to get rid of that, that it was unnecessarily provocative, especially in a state that has such a large African American population. It's just, it's, you know, people were saying it's not appropriate. Um, but it took an awfully long time because they depended on a deliberative process. But now I think it's, you know, the majority, you know, at least of the people who are in political office in, in Mississippi have decided to remove it and to take it down. And I think that's going to be a durable, uh, you know, accepted decision. Uh, and I think that that in general is the way that you would want to go about it, even though it invariably will take a, a longer than some people would like. Yes. Right. No, I appreciate that very much. Uh, Tom, I, I want to bring up something before you leave us that I know is touchy for a lot of people. It crosses into some uh, some sacred ground. You write in your piece that um, if we attach spiritual significance to American historical heroes, then we have actually become devotees of American civil religion on an equal plane as our Christianity. Yeah, I think that there's a risk there. I mean, it, you know, it's not so obvious as, again, Nebuchadnezzar setting up the, the image and asking us to, to worship it. But um, I, I think for Christians, we should at least be willing to ask, why do I need to have these statues up? Uh, especially when, you know, biblically, there's certainly not a, <laughs> a clear affirmation of having civil statues up and, uh, and, and defending them being up. So, so the question is why? I mean, why is it so important? Uh, again, I, I, 
I personally really admire George Washington, really admire Abraham Lincoln, but I don't particularly need to have a statue up to them. I mean, I, I can still read books and I get to teach about them. Now, if people started saying remove books about these people from the library, now I would have a serious problem. Okay. All right. So, okay. So that's interesting. So you're saying that just because we've decided to take a statue down from someone, it doesn't mean we're trying to erase them from American history. Right. I mean, and, and, I, I'm afraid that there are a lot of Americans who don't know much more about Lincoln than what the Lincoln Memorial looks like, and that's no good. I mean, you're you're not that committed to Lincoln anyway. If, if I, I mean, if I had to choose, I would say read books about Lincoln, understand his nuances, his courage, but his limitations as a people person of the time. Uh, you, you know, but if but if we take down a, a statue. I think that that's that's hardly erasing history, uh, and and I certainly wouldn't be saying you shouldn't know about these sorts of people. I would say understand them, read as many books about them as you possibly can, and understand them in the context of their time. That's much better, I think, yeah. than fighting to the death of keeping some particular statue standing. And I think that's it, Tom. So as a history teacher, you're talking about people in the context of their time. And of course, today, we're trying to put Abraham Lincoln and George Washington in the context of 21st century America, and that's ridiculous. It is. And and I think that one of the objections I have is the pride that people exhibit in these debates and, and lack of humility. Um, and, and so, you know, before wagging our fingers at George Washington about being a slave owner, that was morally wrong for him to do that, but uh, you know, in, in the context of his culture, it was totally normal. And uh, if we had been born in the context in which he was born, we would have been slave owners too. And so I, I think, you know, again, I can, I'm fine if we decide that we want to pull down these statues, even of somebody like Washington, although that one would, would hurt for me. <laughs> but I mean, we we just have to remember that if we had been born in their context. We would have been just like them, and that we would not have been the courageous one in the crowd to stand out against slavery. I agree. Well, Dr. Kidd, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to be with you. You're very thoughtful, as always. Please, uh, you're welcome anytime. Thanks for having me. Our great pleasure. Thomas Kidd from Baylor University. American history is not canceled. We'll take a break, come back. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a couple of icons passed away over the weekend here. Stick around for the conversation. It's the Ride Home with John and Kathy here on Word FM. This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to. Right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MediShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance. And MediShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month, but you might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's health care costs, and because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by July 31st, and you'll save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second, and if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch, like more than 400,000 people already have, and start saving. 
Here it is. Call 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE. 844-45-BIBLE. I was a little bit surprised, but so happy to see how eager patients were to return to the office. And their loyalty and their friendship means everything to us. Exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care at StockFamilyDentistry.com. These are very dark and unusual times that we are going through right now. And and I wonder about the world and those who don't know Christ in their lives, what they're thinking about. Because as difficult as things are, at least if you love Jesus, you know that in the end, you'll be with Jesus and everything will be okay. Now, all that to say, especially if you've got a young son or daughter, those precepts, those biblical precepts of leadership must be instilled from an early age. That's why both Kath and I are thrilled that our children attend Grove City College. Kath? Yeah, if there ever was a time, John, when we need good leaders, man, this is one of those times. You know, you just look at the acerbic nature of how people communicate online, and you look at how dysfunctional our national government is, not to mention state or local government, and you think, gosh, we really need to be training young people to think logically to act with heart, um, to look outward to the world with compassion and understanding, grace and truth. That's what a leader is all about. And it doesn't happen by accident, John. Amen to that. We need to look at the world, whether it's politics, science, art, or economics, through a strong Christian lens. I would say if you've got a young son or daughter and they're looking at their next step in education, you definitely should look at Grove City College online gcc.edu. Ask Alexa to play the word Pittsburgh to hear us there. We're on your Google speaker too. Plus iHeart, tune in and on radio.com. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low 69. Tomorrow, times of clouds and sun with a shower, thunderstorm and spots in the afternoon with a high of 88. Tomorrow night, a shower thunderstorm in the area with a low 70. Wednesday, some sun, then turning cloudy and humid with a heavy thunderstorm around and a high of 83. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. So this time last year, I was like so oh excited. I just, I couldn't believe it that it had been 50 years since man first walked on the moon. Okay, so today's the anniversary of man on moon. That's one small step for man, one giant leap from mankind. Neil Armstrong, as he made his way down to the Sea of Tranquility. A year later, I still love it. I'm still super excited by it. And the good news is we are back in. I mean, the space race is back on, and people are headed to Mars. They're headed to all corners of the world. This is a great time to be someone who loves outer space. John, I saw an article in Popular Mechanics that made me think of you today. Popular 20 mechanics. facts you didn't know about Apollo 11. Yeah. Now, I am guessing that you're going to know all of them. No, I probably won't know any of them. Well, no. You probably will because no. you're a geek that way, and I appreciate your geekdom. But I will tell you a couple things, and you can comment as you okay, feel sure, yeah. led. Uh, they could have been locked out. When Lunar Module Pilot Buzz Aldrin joined Armstrong on the moon surface, he had to make sure <laughs> not to fully close the Eagle's hatch. He said that on the, the air. The cabin with, On our show, he said that? No, no, I'm sorry. He said that live, uh, you know, on worldwide television. Oh, hey, I'm okay. coming down. They were like, make sure you, you know, keep the door, door ajar. You don't want to lock it out. Why would they have a lock? Why would they even do that? 
Well, it wasn't that there was a lock on it. It was the fact that if it closed, the cabin would start repressurizing and then oh it'd be gosh. hard to open the door. I see. That'd be terrible. Could that be horrible? Right? You know, mm-hmm. it's every, everybody's worst dream. You're getting locked out of the house, but you're on the moon. Right. Uh, Pink Floyd jammed the tune Moonhead during the BBC's live coverage of the moon landing. Nice. I like that. They did that live. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And, you know, around the world, everybody, you know, all the different networks around the world, Indian television, of course, English television, they all did their own special take on it, which I loved. Okay, that's cool. Uh, This anniversary year, six teams of scientists will begin to examine one of three caches of lunar regolith from Apollo missions that have been stored at NASA's Johnson Space Center since 1972. I would assume that's those are moon rocks, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah. And those things have gone over with a fine tooth comb. But yeah, go back and look at them again. Why not? Mm -hmm. We've heard the uh, the adage that the computing power that took those men to the moon is less than we have on our smartphone. Right. 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 Did you know that the Apollo guidance computer also weighed 70 pounds? (laughs) All right. Yeah. They made the best of it, didn't they? Apollo engineering influenced a lot of technologies and products, such as, John, freeze-dried backpacking meals, which I know you and I have just really eaten a lot of. Uh, Dustbuster cordless vacuums, which I deeply love. Nike Air running shoes. Really? Anti-fog ski goggles. I can't say it. Ski goggles. Mm -hmm. And studless winter tires. Really? Okay. So all this is like, you know, Mm -hmm. part of the production and development of getting the guys on the moon. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll tell you, Eagle Scout Neil Armstrong, he earned 26 merit badges. 21 nice. are required, but not the Space Exploration Merit Badge. Oh. Because that well, wasn't created until 1965. Oh, I see. Okay. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Buzz Aldrin is the only guy who's still alive who was on the moon, you know, from that Apollo 11 group. Neil Armstrong has been gone for a long time. Michael Collins passed away a few years ago. We had Neil Ar- We had Buzz Aldrin on the air with us, I think, twice uh, yes. During the course of our show, uh, most famous for me in UCath that Buzz Aldrin served himself communion on the face of the moon, which is which just is fabulous. also talked about in this popular mechanics article. Yeah, that's so cool. Anyway, congratulations! Fifty-one year la- years later, it still holds awe and mystery for those who were alive watching the thing unfold. Just fabulous, man on moon. Okay, what's next, Kath? All right. Well, next we're going to talk about the deaths of civil rights icon John Lewis and British theologian J.I. Packer. We'll welcome Dr. Bruce Hinmarsh to the program to talk about one of these two great men next on The Ride Home. WORD. Coming up on Love Worth Finding. Does prayer really affect our everyday lives? There's not a failure in my life, in your life, but what somehow it is a prayer failure. Our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. He would never have taught you to pray that if he did not intend to deliver you. Hear Adrian Rogers teach about the school of prayer on the next Love Worth Finding. Tonight at 11 on 101.5 WORD. You've all helped build my pillow into the amazing company that it is today. 
Now, Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give back to my listeners. You can get great discounts on all MyPillow products if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener specials. You're going to see some amazing offers. Right now, MyPillow is offering an exclusive radio special. Today, we're offering buy one, get one free on a variety of amazing products, including the Supima MyPillows, MyPillow towels, roll-and-go anywhere pillows, duvet covers, Giza pillowcase, bolster pillows, and neck pillows. Plus, if you buy Mike Lindell's book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO, you'll get free shipping and a $25 gift card. Just go to MyPillow.com, enter promo code WORD, or call 800-391-0954. Be sure to use promo code word. MyPillow is answering the call for more face masks as the country continues to deal with a global coronavirus pandemic. They'll be making face masks for hospitals across the country. If you are a caregiver for a family member or loved one, this is an important message. Excel Home Care will pay you to take care of your family member or loved one. Yes, you heard right. You can actually get paid to provide care for those you love. To learn more, contact Excel Home Care today and get started right now. Care and quality when you need it. XL Home Care, 412-212-8950, 412-212-8950, XL Home Care, a help at home company. This is the story they don't want you to see, told by people they don't want you to hear at a time when so many desperately need to hear it. This is the story of Uncle Tom. Most people are completely oblivious to the history of the Democratic Party. Story, Larry Elder, Candace Owens, Herman Cain, Brandon Tatum. Hear their stories of how their life was changed when they finally figured out the truth. Go to UncleTom.com. Buy it now on pay-per-view. UncleTom.com. This is their story of redemption and hope. This is Tim Seckler inviting you to tune in each and every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by my law firm, the Seckler Law Firm. Each week, we'll talk about your family's well-being as it relates to elder law, nursing home stays, estate planning, and keeping your hard-earned savings. And if you missed the Life and Legacy Show, you will find it archived at secklerlawfirm.com. See you Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy Show. to welcome to our program a brand new guest to talk about a truly great man. Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh is with us. He holds the James M. Houston Chair of Spiritual Theology at Regent College in Vancouver, a past president of the American Society of Church History. He's published and spoken widely to international audiences on the history of early British evangelicalism. He's the author of three major books, including most recently, The Spirit of Early Evangelicalism. Um, Dr. Hindmarsh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be with you, Kathy. Our pleasure, Jim. So, uh, Dr. Heinmarsh, as J.I. Packer passed away, I think maybe at least in our circles, we knew friends who loved J.I. Packer and knew his work deeply. And other people had really no idea who J.I. Packer was. Can you talk about the disparity in J.I. Packer and how some people knew and loved him? Other people were totally oblivious. Right. Interesting. I think, Jim, um, in a sense, when you've lived as long as Jim, um, you've lived uh, many lifetimes and seen, um, you know, there'll be a whole uh, maybe new generation that didn't grow up knowing about his, you know, 1973 classic book, uh, Knowing God, uh, that had an impact on so many people around the world and uh, translated into many languages. I think it was that book that really put him on the map. 
He was a well-known figure in England, I think, before that. But I think it's with that book that he became um, a major figure within the church in uh, in North America. But, you know, it's interesting, even at our own church, I remember when the uh, college group um, at our church began, uh, thought that they would uh, read um, uh, Knowing God together. And it was like watching a whole generation discover um, Jim Packer and his teaching and what he had to offer. Um, so, so I wonder if, in a sense, um, you know, Jim had a huge impact. He's a figure of that generation, like Billy Graham, like C.S. Lewis. And, uh, but maybe there's a younger generation that isn't as familiar with, uh, with some of his work. Well, that's interesting. So now, James, you were a friend of J.I. Packer. You referred to him as Jim. Uh, J.I. Packer passed away Friday at the age of 93. Clearly, you're nowhere near 93 years of age. So talk <laughs> about that intersection where you became friends and how you first met. Well, um, I, as a young person, I read Jim's book, uh, Knowing God. It had, uh, had an impact on me as a young person. And then Jim was, first of all, my teacher at Regent College. I took his uh, Introduction to Theology course, and I remember his typewritten mm. uh, handout notes that uh, <laughs> where he used up all the margins. We used to say, uh, Packer by name, Packer by nature, he packed it in. <laughs> and uh, sit, sitting in uh, his theology classes, you know, he had a tremendous sense of humor. I remember he came to class one day, and just this dry sense of humor, and he just, before class, he said, you know, he said, it still brings a smile to my face in North America when I'm crossing the street and I see a car coming towards me, and on the front of it, it says, Dodge. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, but, so, 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 so he was my teacher. He was a wonderful teacher and just very clear and exact. Every word feels like, like it comes out publishable, you know? We knew that he was at that stage of his life writing 2,000 words every day before breakfast on his Olivetti typewriter and wow. then coming to class and uh, teaching. Uh, he, was a, he was a great churchman. He loved the church. He loved his students. I remember him uh, coming to uh, one of my friends said uh, they were playing hacky sack outside the front of the college, and Jim came by, and they invited him to join him. And this tweedy, pasty Englishman drops his briefcase and comes over and plays hacky sack with him and kicks around um, <laughs> the hacky sack. And uh, he really was a joyful uh, person. So I knew him as a as my teacher, genuinely somebody whom I read, whom I respected. And when uh, years later, when I joined the college faculty, he was my next-door neighbor uh, in the hallway at Regent College. And, um, and I uh, had the opportunity to enjoy him as a colleague. He was also um, the lay minister at our church, at our Anglican church in Vancouver. We worked together. We sort of fought together side by side in some of the Anglican struggles as we uh, worked together on various uh, theological statement committees. I gave a, a paper for um, at a conference for his 80th birthday. I gave a paper at a conference for his 90th birthday, and I said, Jim, I think I might run out of material for your hundreds. Um, but he... Um, um, no, he, you know, he's, he's a joyful person. I've compared mm. him to Tigger in Winnie the Pooh as a, oh. as a, about, he, he just bounces. He used to bounce into the building at Regent College and, uh, was really a joyful Christian and a wonderful colleague. I did a, a seminar with him on Puritan and evangelical spirituality that I'll cherish just the memory of doing that seminar together and with the students. And what it was, he he had that almost photographic memory. You know, I, I phoned him mm. one afternoon just for a quotation. 
And I said, Jim, where was it that the Puritan Richard Rogers, when asked, why are you so precise, said, oh, but I serve a precise God. And Jim uh, starts talking, and I can kind of, you can hear the train leave the station, you know, it's going to be a while. And he says, um, <laughs> he says, my dear Bruce, he said, I remember reading that book in my 20s at Oxford. It was from a book by Giles Furman called The Real Christian. It's about a third of the way through the book. And then he starts quoting uh, the material oh before the quotation, gives me the quotation. And as he's talking, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to um, hold the phone, uh, cradle it in my shoulder here and get online and go to early English books online and find the book by Giles Furman. And I had the quotation in my notes while Jim was still talking and reminiscing. And so I thought I, I thought I would tell him what I just did. And you could hear this kind of... Um, you know, uh, silence as he's wondering, what kind of voodoo are you talking about that you could actually, you don't have to go back to Oxford to read that book. You can just find it uh, on your computer. <laughs> wow. Um, That's a great story. Yeah. That's a great story. It is. And it makes me wonder whether my memory is so bad because I have a horrible memory or I'm lazy or just because I live in the Internet era. I don't know what it is. But I wonder. That, that's really wonder. inspiring. It is. Sure We're talking is. to yeah. uh, Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. He holds the James M. Houston Chair of Spiritual Theology at Regent College in Vancouver. We're talking about the life and legacy of J.I. Packer. Um, the first book I ever had by J.I. Packer is one that's not talked about as much, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Um, Bruce, it's a tiny little book. I can't tell you how much that little tiny book, it's probably what, 50 pages long impacted me. You have Mm -hmm, any thoughts about mm -hmm. that? No, I agree. And he talked about, I remember he introduced the word antinomy for talking about these kinds of things, Mm -hmm. these ideas that uh, you're going to have to hold them together, even though you can't always entirely reconcile them. And I remember likewise, Kathy, reading that book and how much it helped me as, you know, wrestling with this question of if God is sovereign, how do we understand free will? And Jim just kind of works through in his logical, careful, biblical way uh, what it means, always with an eye to Christian practice and an eye to the health of the Church. Um, his uh, In Britain, he wrote a book, uh, Fundamentalism and the Word of God, back when fundamentalism still hadn't acquired all of the negative associations it has today. I think okay. that sold something like 20,000 copies. And it was likewise, uh, very early on, recognizing the importance of Scripture for the life of the people of God. And he was always, um, even right to the end, some of the last courses he was teaching at Regent College were, were simply um, you know, teaching on the book of Ephesians. He just loved Scripture, loved to teach Scripture, and knew that when the Church loses that connection between Scripture and life, um, that it's uh, that it's a real danger. I mean, he he was every inch a scholar, but he wanted his scholarship to feed the church. And uh, I remember reading uh, somebody was categorizing um, you know, the history of hymnody that some hymns are popular, like African American spirituals, uh, carols. Some hymns are elite, like John Mason Neal's Latin hymns, and some hymns are. Uh, scholarly in origin and popular in destination, like the Wesley hymns. They're written by people who are scholarly and uh, and deep and thoughtful people, but they're but they're written for ordinary people. And that's the way Jim did his theology. Some people mm-hmm. wished maybe he had written more for his scholarly peers, but he saw himself as a catechist. He wanted to teach the church, and he took all of the riches. I, I called him in uh, one piece I wrote. I call him a theological Robin Hood. 
that he was always Bruce, I'm going to have to stop you right there with Theological the Robin Hood. First of all, that's a terrific moniker. Second of all, I just want to thank you so much for your time thank and you, sharing with us about J.I. Packer on today's program. I'm sorry, We're our time, time is up. It's Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh, James M. Houston Chair of Spiritual Theology at Regent College in Vancouver and author of The Spirit of Early Evangelicalism. We'll be right back. Thank you, Bruce. podcast forgotten women of what is investigates a series of murders that have haunted the u.s mexico border for almost 30 years to find out more listen to forgotten women of what is wherever you get your podcasts we're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days windows are us pittsburgh is no different when it comes to working around your home windows are us remains committed to the safety of you and your family for roofs, gutters, and downspouts, siding, and of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company, and all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for a free repair or replacement. Visit windowsruspittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of the highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry from a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. Why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company, WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. That's WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. If you've fallen behind in your credit card payments during the shutdown, you're probably feeling some added pressures. And even a brief history of late payments can lead to a big drop in your credit score. But you don't have to solve these problems alone. Trinity Debt Management can help. We'll work with your creditors, put a stop to late fees and other penalties, and make a plan that helps you get caught up. We'll also consolidate your bills into one easy-to-manage monthly payment and negotiate much lower interest rates. Not only will you find immediate relief, you'll save thousands. And don't worry, it's not a loan. It's a smart way to get back on track. All you have to do is give Trinity a quick call, and we'll take care of the rest. Right now, no one really knows what the future will bring, but one thing is for sure. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Here's the number. Call 1-800-793-8548. That's 1-800-793-8548. In the 2016 race for president, Donald Trump was not the first choice for many Christian voters. His personal history made it unimaginable that he would defend Christian values as president, or so we thought. In his new book, Forgotten Country, The Christian Case for Trump, Dr. Ralph Reed shows that President Trump has kept his promises and been the most effective presidential defender of religious liberty and the pro-life cause since Reagan. It's required reading in 2020. Forgotten Country, the new book by Ralph Reed, available wherever books are sold. We are welcoming patients back, and we're happy to do so. Although we can't give the normal hugs or handshakes that they might be used to, the same exceptional dentistry, the same compassionate care is still there. Exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care at StockFamilyDentistry.com. Go for it. Representative John Lewis passed away on Friday. Early in John Lewis's life, he was courageous by facing racial evil and inequality. Mm -hmm. He uh, later made his mark in Washington, D.C., but it is, for all intents and purposes, uh, once again, the passing of another giant. 
Yeah, it is. On the same day as J.I. Packer, who we spoke about in the last segment, uh, John Lewis was the son of sharecroppers, John. He survived a brutal beating by police during that landmark 1965 march in Selma, Alabama. Um, he was a follower. He was a, a colleague of Martin Luther King Jr. at the age of 23, if you can believe this. He was a keynote speaker at the 1963 March on Washington. Wow. Um, he was also a freedom rider. He did the lunch counter sit-in. He did the whole thing. And when he was told that he had stage four pancreatic cancer, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he said something really great like, I faced down a lot of giants in my time. It's not like I'm not going to fight this mm-hmm. Really, I mean, it's no exaggeration to say that he was a giant and he stood alongside MLK. So, truly, a man passing will be missed greatly. Hey, thanks for being with us. God willing, we'll see you tomorrow. We're streaming live. Check us out. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group.